You've hit play on the Screen Companion, a show about making your viewing time count. You should know, John, that I picked you special for this because this is going to air as my season finale. Ooh. This little journey of mine making this little show has been glorious. Most of you are across the country, so if I can't be there physically with you, at least we can connect via chat. We can be here in podcast spirit. So today's show is the topic of romance films. Between the two movies today, A Very Long Engagement and Witness, you have seen Witness before, correct? Yes, I have. My dad was a huge Harrison Ford fan when I was growing up, so I've seen a lot of Harrison Ford movies. Harrison Ford in the 80s was on fire. Mm Mm-hmm. And it also made me sad to think that age has slowed him down more recently, but I feel like maybe his film choices started to hurt him in the mid to late 90s. And it was less about him getting older and just that his choices weren't as good. What was his 90s filmography? What films would you cite? Well, he started strong with Presumed Innocent, great legal film. And then he did the Jack Ryan movies that I believe were early 90s. He was a replacement for Alec Baldwin. Which, when you think of people to replace 90s Alec Baldwin, Mm -hmm. kind of funny to go a bit older and go with the more reserved Harrison Ford, don't you think? It was a total recast. But it was a good example of recasting working well. I would agree with that, yeah. I'm not going to say I think he was a better Jack Ryan, but he was different and he still maintained interest. So when we're talking Harrison Ford... I start to forget his filmography once we get into the mid-90s. I think Air Force One was 96. That sounds about right. I might say that was probably his last winner. Was there anything he was in after that that he starred in that was great? Um, No, nothing coming to my head. I mean, he came back for Star Wars. That turned out terrible. And he was in it for maybe 10 minutes? He was looking to die. He was there for the paycheck. He's like, kill the character. I don't want fans bugging me anymore. I don't think they would have gotten him back if they didn't kill Han Solo. I only come back if I die. Yeah, I want to come back so we can make the kids cry. (laughs) I hate children. Make them cry. And by kids, I mean 40-year-old men. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The midlifers who grew up on it. Him in 1985 in Witness, he's still hot. He's still a great leading man. Not really too different from the usual Harrison Ford mold. Snarky, just like all of his other great characters. Mm -hmm. Before we get into Witness, talking about romance films in general, do you enjoy the genre? It's okay. I mean, I'm not going to like go out of my way for it. I feel like every romance movie I've seen after the fact... I've never gone to a theater and been like, I'm going to watch that romance movie. Love Actually, arguably one of the best. That's a straight up, this is a romance movie that still works. Like with Witness and uh, The Very Long Engagement, they weren't 
they were romance films, but they weren't really billed as romance films. Like, Witness was a thriller, and, I mean, we'll get into very long engagement. Okay, I'd say I'm pretty much on the same page with you. I don't go see a movie because its main themes involve romance. It's usually just a happy coincidence. I was thinking about it today, what movies that I liked that had particularly strong romance elements. Oddly enough, Conan the Barbarian came to mind. Oh yeah! There's a part where Conan needs help. He's fighting some dudes, and who should come to his rescue? His dead love, Valerian. And she shows up in this Viking armor and helps him out. Kind of winks at him and then disappears. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Valhalla. There's actually a strong romantic undertone to that movie. A lot of movies have to have some romance to them. American Hollywood has to have a romance factor. Like Bollywood, it's not considered a good movie unless there's like a dance number in the middle. In some cases, I think maybe they add the romance in there, not just because Americans want it, necessarily, but because if they want to do a full, epic, strong material, they got to include everything from action to romance, and so they have to package it all together. Appeal to all audiences. Something for everybody. What would you say are some of your pet peeves with romance movies? There's a lot of times where all the problems could be solved by just saying your feelings properly, like proper communication. And specifically, it doesn't come up in Witness because of the two different worlds aspects of like the Amish lady, she's not allowed to actually love him. And so there's like an actual reason for the, I'm not going to communicate properly. Whereas every other romance movie is just like, well, if you just explained yourself immediately, you wouldn't have the movie. You'd just have two happy people and be like, sorry, we fought. Well, that leads into something else, which is, you, sir, are a married man. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. How long have you been married? I don't want to do the math. One year, let's say one year and uh, one month. Uh, in 13 days. With that perspective, do you find that it's changed how you watch movies with strong romantic elements? No, I don't think so. Because my wife likes to complain about the same things I do in romance movies. And that just could be the individualness of it. Does it make anything in these romance movies come off as particularly... Uh, cheap or stupid because you're actually in a committed relationship and you know what that looks like? Yeah, I'd say the grand gestures of romance, but the big like, oh, I got all these balloons. I made a giant balloon man to impress you. Like, true love can be really boring sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with that. The romance movies do, they have the moments where everything seems better because we're your true love, and then, like, there's a fight, so everything seems worse. But the grand gestures are just unrealistic. And it's giving people an unrealistic message of true love. Just Sometimes you just got to hunker down and do the work. Do the day-to-day. -day. You must have already discussed this with your wife. Is there a film or TV couple that you guys relate to? Well, she thinks it's Fry and Leela from Futurama because she thinks I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a redhead. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> and a ginger. 
do we've had that discussion of like look it's us but i can't think of it off the top of my head but fry and leela come to mind and uh both new yorkers yes yeah so actually she was very apt with that description she is the smarter of the two <laughs> i'll tell her you said that she'll like that so let's move on to witness 1985 sir would you please give me a summary even though this is a romance episode it could be described as a cop thriller starring Viggo Mortensen. I knew you'd catch that. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't know he was in that movie until I saw him and like halfway through one of the seasons for like two seconds. I was like, is that Vigo? I had to look it up. This is a cop thriller where a young Amish boy witnesses a murder in a, was a Philadelphia bathroom? I believe so. Yeah, train station. Harrison Ford has to solve the case. And it turns out to be Danny Glover is a dirty cop who committed the crime, and so they have to go into hiding in the Amish community. Murtaugh, no. <laughs> Murtaugh, yes. This was uh, right before Lethal Weapon, huh? Yeah, he's got chops. Lethal Weapon was his first good cop. Harrison Ford, John Book, which feels like there's some kind of symbolism with that name. It does. Book almost feels like a religious figure in some aspect. Like the good book? Yeah, the good book. Or the book of John? Is there a book of John? Yes, there is. You'd probably know a bit more of that than I would. Not just because it's your name. No, it's, yeah, I was raised by two religious folks for a time, and then they decided that they hated church. Good for them. Yes, it was actually quite nice when we finally stopped going. Not that I have a problem with religious folks. Please keep listening. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the religion. It was the uh, commitment on Sundays that got boring. This movie, did the romance aspect of it work for you? Yeah, I thought it was more realistic than most movies portray it. Because it was just a fish-out-of-water story always works. It started, she was the fish-out-of-water in the beginning, and then Harrison Ford became fish out of the water in the, in the middle and the end. I forget her name from Top Gun, but she was probably bored of Amish men. One of the guys I recognize is a terrorist from Die Hard. So, <laughs> <laughs> she was probably bored of that. Bored of the terrorism. Bored of the terrorism. <laughs> he was still speaking his weird Pennsylvania Dutch, which is, I think, some form of German. If you were a terrorist, if you're going to hide out before the big heist, why not go to Amish country? Oh, you think he infiltrated that way? Because he didn't technically have to be a citizen. Exactly. Funny you mentioned Fish Out of Water. This is only my second time watching it. I found that the bulk of the movie really is Harrison Ford being the fish out of water. The cop aspect of the story and the romance. They kind of take a backseat to just him living among the Amish. And... They definitely chose the most dramatic way to get him to Amish country. Feels like those other details are just there to explain why he's living with them. Yeah, I feel like the crux is like someone started the story wanting a cop to live with Amish people. Were you distressed by the lack of a climax to this film? I uh, know. And that, I think, has to do with the fact that this movie's been a part of my life for a very long time. You know, like Star Wars, like, 
I think people our age never got distressed that Luke and Vader were related because it just was always in our heads forever. Oh, I thought you were going to say that Luke and Leia were related. That distressed me. <laughs> that Yeah, once I found out, yeah, that's distressing. What? <laughs> no, ew, gross. Um, it is really a romance movie. That's the, the climax is the, uh, is the very end of when they do have to part ways. Like, there was a shootout for them to realize what was going on. This is an example of a film where I feel comfortable spoiling the end. Because it's not about what I'm spoiling. It is about the romance part of it. I would say the anti-climax, John Book, he finds out that there are some dirty cops involved, the chief of police included, along with Danny Glover. It ends at the homestead of Kelly McGillis's character, Rachel, the mom. And Book dispatches a couple of the lackeys, including Danny Glover. He kills those two guys, right? He shoots Danny Glover to death, and then the other lackey, he uh, suffocates in a corn silo, which is a surprisingly common way to die on a farm. I saw a couple of diagrams of it, and I expected to see people get buried the same way they do in this movie, but it showed a diagram of a guy sinking from the top, and I realized, oh yeah, it is kind of like quicksand. My dad was a farmer, so I think he identified with Harrison Ford and the whole farming part, and so... I remember when that happened as a kid, he'd be like, yep, yep, that's, yep. So then the, the guy that masterminded it all, the chief of police that's been hunting for the boy, the witness, and Harrison Ford, they just have a little confrontation with the chief of police, book, a bunch of the Amish that have uh, heard the gunfire and have come around. And what happens, John? Tell me, how do they resolve the chief of police being a bastard? <laughs> they have a discussion, but Harrison Ford tries to get him to shoot a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, I bet you the spirits of Danny Glover and that guy in the silo were looking down from, or looking up from hell, saying, what, it was that easy? I could have just given up. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you ordered us to go in there and kill him. But I think there's a moment early on in the movie that really encapsulates just the amount of anti-action that's in this film. Because you go into it with this framing device of a cop on the run protecting a kid, and you think, oh, okay, this, this could get juicy. There could be uh, some gunfights. And there's a moment where Book drops off Rachel, drops her off and the boy, and he's been shot. He's expecting to leave the farm. But instead, he succumbs to his wounds and loses consciousness. And do you remember what he does, what happens to the car? He drives into that birdhouse. <laughs> so that is a perfect example, because it's like, it's open farm country. There's one birdhouse. But the director said, you know what? I need more action in this stupid movie. Have him hit that birdhouse. <laughs> hit the birdhouse. <laughs> we hear the little sound it makes when it breaks the post. And that birdhouse just kind of falls on top of the car. And there you have it, folks. That's the car accident action you're going to get in this movie. Your big car chase. <laughs> the wind chased him. <laughs> <laughs> the wind chased to the only birdhouse for miles and miles and miles. And that anti-action, to its credit, carries through the rest of the film. At its core, you have this love story about two people that just can't get together. 
when they have their big sensual moment. Do you know what I'm thinking of, John? What moment? In the barn, right? I'm thinking of a scene in the house. Which one? Where they give in to their urges or where they, where she explains the difference in worlds? No, the one that hit me the most and I thought was so freaking sexy and romantic, but at the same time it was totally anti-action, was when she's sponging herself. Oh, yeah. She's got her top off and he's peeking at her through the door. And this is after they've set up their romance. And she just stares at him, like daring him to do something about it. And then he's actually cowed. And he looks down, and then he looks away, and then he leaves. But it was just the hotness of that moment was incredible. And they didn't do anything. But it was such a gripping moment. It reminded me of Top Gun. She had like the modern version, not the Amish version, in Top Gun with Tom Cruise. Basically naked like half-naked and daring him. Okay, confession time. I also have not seen Top Gun. That surprises me. That movie taught me three-act structure. I remember watching it as a little kid and knowing exactly when each act ended. Top Gun came after this movie. Uh, Witness was 85, Top Gun 86. I was going to ask you, like, what did Top Gun see in her performance in Witness that made them go, Kelly McGillis, get that Amish lady into this movie. (laughs) We need her now. (laughs) Well, maybe they were in negotiations with Cruz, and he was trying to get them to uh, hire some Scientologist woman. Oh. And they're like, we'll meet you halfway. We can't go full Scientologist, but we'll go with a woman who portrayed an Amish lady. was probably like, I don't know the difference. Cast her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anything else about this movie uh, strike you as particularly odd, especially the way movies now are made and how romances are portrayed? The concept of an antagonist really didn't come up. Like, there was the bad cop, but he was hundreds of miles away the whole movie. The only bad guy, again, was that, uh, that terrorist from Die Hard who kept making eyes at Rachel, and, but he never really made a move. And he was still nice to Harrison Ford, even though he could tell what was going on. Yeah, no real antagonist. For the audience who haven't seen this movie, we're talking about the terrorist from Die Hard. He's a fellow Amish who, after Rachel's husband, they're at his wake at the very beginning of the movie. This guy's a suitor who kind of plays for her affection, and they treat him like he can go toe-to-toe with Harrison Ford for her affections? I don't buy that movie. I just don't. No, because she never really looks at him. She doesn't pay him any mind. And his, his attempts to woo her is just him being, like, polite in conversation. No, like, grand gesture. No big romantic grand gestures that we talked about. Just him, like, sorry about your dead husband. Beautiful day today. Just something I'd say to a nice old person in the street. Well, isn't that... Pretty much the Amish way. Yes. Yes, it is. It's like you're perpetually 65. (laughs) (laughs) They are, basically, yeah. You grew up in upstate New York, where there is an Amish presence, correct? Yes. Do you have any memories of seeing them driving around? 
that scene where everyone's getting angry at them while they're going down the road is very accurate. I give the director credit. He wanted to maintain a level of neutrality because he really doesn't cast aspersions on either side, on her world being Amish, on Book's world being from the inner city. But I kind of feel like they should have leaned toward the inner city. Not specifically anything about the tenets of being Amish that I have a big problem with, but just any group that says you're either with us or you're cast out, I'm always going to root for the other side. Uh, yeah, that's a very solid point. Yeah, like, they have Rumspringer, where you spend a year, I think it's at 19, you spend a whole year in the English world, as they call it, and you either go back forever or you never go back, and that that's the rule. And it's, it's such a hard choice of never being able to see your family again that I'll, most of them do go back. I still think it works, because they're, they're good people. They're doing what they feel is right. I would like to delve into a weird segment for a second, which is hats. Amish people like their hats. We see many different hats. Uh, One hat that I was not aware of was a milking hat. Because at one point, the book character is asked to earn his keep on the farm where he's hiding out with the family. And they want him to milk a cow the elder hands him a milking cap that looks like a thimble. And I was trying to figure it out. I looked it up online. I wasn't successful. Why would you need a milking hat? You don't want hair to fall into the milk, and they're not that well-groomed. No offense. Not that they're going to ever hear this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's a hairnet, basically. Is that all it is? I believe so. I can't think of any other reason why it would be. Because that was the first thing that came to my mind, having had extensive experience in the food service world. But why not just wear a regular straw boater? Oh, because then they can't get as close to the cow while they're milking. Boom. Solved it. Nailed it. (laughs) Oh, you and I need to go to Amish country and tell them what we've learned. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be like, we ought to know that (laughs) Yeah, but we didn't know that We're telling you (laughs) (laughs) They'd just be like, please leave (laughs) Another thing about hats in this movie So there's a moment where Rachel Takes off her white bonnet Do you know what the white bonnet symbolizes? The only thing I really know is that beard, the beard, I think, symbolizes marriage. You're not allowed to grow a beard as an Amish person until you're a married man. Oh. I don't know what the bonnet means. With as much lack of sex as there is in this film, for a second there I thought, do they even ever kiss? But they do. They they have a hugging makeout session, like Amish people would. <laughs> it's very tame. It's a big scandalous. <laughs> but right before that moment, uh, it's toward the end when he's going to leave. She takes off her white bonnet. And I thought, well, they made a big to-do about showing us her taking it off. I should look this up. So Amish women wear black and white bonnets. If you're wearing black, it means you're single. If you're wearing white, it means you're married. Oh. So she was wearing that white bonnet. Her husband had just died. 
and that was to symbolize when she took it off that she was ready for business. Her mourning was over. (laughs) (laughs) She had sat her shiva, and now she is ready. (laughs) Any final thoughts on Witness? I feel like it aged poorly, not from content, but it just looked like it was a really old movie. Nothing really stood out about the cinematography. A lot of the shots were just grass fields. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, one quick, one do one quick really stupid side note. The old lady who was trying to take pictures of Harrison Ford and he threatened her? Yeah. I recognized her from Predator 2. <laughs> <laughs> when, after the Predator had broke through the old lady's apartment and like ran down the elevator shaft and Danny Glover ran in, and he's like, I'm a cop. And it was the old lady who was like, I don't think he gives a shit. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in forever. <laughs> that might be an episode of this show. All right. Because <laughs> I don't think that movie gets enough love. Yeah, it does not, especially with how good the first one is. I have a lot to say about that, and we shouldn't say it on this episode. <laughs> good, because you know I'm just going to edit it out anyway. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Witness. Now let us talk about, admittedly, my favorite of these two, and you said it was yours as well. Yeah. A very long engagement from 2004. Let me say I was a little worried about including this. Normally, I always have my guest choose at least one movie for us to talk about. But, you know, this is the end of the season for me. I'm getting lazy. I just said to myself, you know, I'm just going to pick the movies and hope somebody wants to watch them with me. (laughs) So thank you for indulging me. Your show. Let's do this. (laughs) I appreciate it. Or as they say here in Virginia, I appreciate you. Oh. Yeah, they say that all the time. Virginia really is for lovers. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But this movie, a very long engagement. I was worried about bringing it up. Because besides the romance part of it, it is also a French film, all in French, so it's subtitles. Part of me thought of this movie when we did our subtitles episode, which you were beautiful on. I can hear you just soaking up that praise. I'm gonna take it all in and love it. Just lap it up. (laughs) You gotta keep that in. Don't edit that part out. (laughs) No, I'll keep it in. (laughs) All right, good. You know me. (laughs) (laughs) so this being your first watch of this film when you were finished watching it what was the first thing that you thought as far as your assessment the very first thing was i enjoyed it because it was a romance movie but again like witness it's disguised as another movie this film takes place i guess technically it takes place at the end of world war one it is about matilda who is looking for her long lost love One of the things I noticed real fast was either I recognize a lot of French actors or that there are only a handful of French actors, but her beloved was sent to war. Matthew? Mathis? Cornflower. They were calling him Cornflower, I think. Manek. Manek. I'm not French. That was the end of Mathis was the end of my French knowledge and names. It was about these five men who were sentenced to die for self-mutilation to get out of war, and then... It feels like a mystery movie almost, trying to figure out what happened to all five of these men. Because you're just, you're told they're killed. Matilda loved her man, whose name I already forgot. (laughs) Cornflower. 
Cornflower. Yeah, we're going to call I'm going to just call him Cornflower. And she's just trying to find him. And there's a lot of characters on the way. At parts, it felt like a very French movie. And then other parts where it just felt like an international movie. But it is a love story disguised as a detective noir. In parts, it was a war movie. The war movie parts are almost difficult to watch. In what way? Uh, Depressing? Yeah, that's what it was. It was, you're in a trench. You're dying for this government that doesn't care so that they can get, what, 100 feet of land? Yeah. Like, trench warfare was terrible. Yeah, I was thinking about, like, mustard gas and shotguns were illegal, but no one cared. <sighs> they do a great job of balancing those really drab scenes in the trenches and how gray and mucky it looks with how beautiful the French countryside is when we're following uh, Mathilde. Mm-hmm. It's not always a downer. They, they do a good job of balancing it. It's a really good roller coaster of negative and positive emotions of they know when to bring it down and then they'll bring you back up and then they'll bring you back down again. There's definitely some Wes Anderson stuff there. I'm not a big Wes Anderson fan. It made me feel like Wes Anderson was described French films to him, but he never saw one. Well, I'm glad you still liked it, even though you saw a Wes Anderson comparison to be made. (laughs) I saw a better Wes Anderson because it was an actual French movie. If I had to, also in a characteristically American fashion, immediately try to relate this to American cinema, (laughs) 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 whereas you saw touches of Wes Anderson, which I totally agree with, I also felt that this movie was kind of the French Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah. It was definitely paced like a Tarantino movie. With all the non-linear storytelling? Yes. Now, you said earlier that this movie did feel French in some aspects. What would you say is the definition of a French movie that you saw in this? So a lot of French movies have really weird parts where they're just overly specific. Like, they're doing the flashbacks of when Cornflower and Mathilde met. The narrator was arguing over whether it was Friday or Saturday with herself and couldn't quite remember, which wasn't important to the plot at all, but that's such a French caveat. Well, it's, it's whimsical. Yeah. When she was playing, I want to say the tuba, because it was the only instrument that can make a distress call. <laughs> and also uh, some other French themes that I saw running throughout. Serendipity, a narration sentimentality just laid out for everybody to see, and a huge cast of side characters. It was hard to keep track, almost. My only hope was that I recognized a lot of them from, like, other French movies. And speaking of a cast of side characters... Oh boy. (laughs) Who was it that made a cameo? Extended cameo. Did it surprise you? (laughs) It surprised me quite a bit, because I had to stare at her face for a while before I recognized Jodie Foster, speaking French. Yeah, really good at speaking French. I mean, you know, I don't speak French, so she might have been terrible, I didn't know, but (laughs) she was definitely, like, you could tell from her face, she was in the scenes, she was there, doing a really good job, and I was just surprised to see her. (laughs) Do you recall her speaking French in any American films? No, not at all. They should have utilized that more, because it's just such a novelty. She was in a movie called Nell, where she could barely speak. The character, as a child, learned from someone whose right side of their face was paralyzed, so all the words she knew were just wrong. No kidding. Oh, 
I've heard of it. I have it on Laserdisc. <laughs> <laughs> I will have to watch it now that you've uh, mentioned it. <laughs> Fire up that Laserdisc machine and get your projector and sheet out. And yes, I do have a nice Laserdisc collection and a Laserdisc player that works A-OK on a nice 30, 35-inch uh, CRT television. Oh, wow. That was like top of the line when Laserdisc was around. Yeah, Jodie Foster makes an appearance, one of like 20 side characters. If I had any gripe with this movie, it would be that they could have cut some stuff out of this just to keep the focus more on Audrey Tatu as Matilde. Amelie. Did you see multiple actors that were also in that movie in this? The uncle was in it. I want to say the French commander was in it. Yep, and it's the same director, Jean-Pierre Jeannot. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And in a way, this movie was filmed a couple years after Amelie. This almost feels like Amelie if it was set a little after World War I. Yeah, that sounds about right. Even down to some of the quirks of... And yes, I'm going to be on a first-name basis with her because I love her so much. Audrey. When Audrey's Matilde, we see her backstory and how she's kind of a shut-in. Mm-hmm. And she grows up with at least one parent out of the picture, just like Amelie. Almost the same backstory. I don't think Amelie had a uh, limp. No, she didn't. But maybe in the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Amelie too. Electric Boogaloo? I don't know. But with all these side characters, somebody they could have cut out would be Marion Cotillard, who kind of has a, a parallel investigation to Matilde, where they both have lovers that were part of that group of soldiers condemned to die. I think all of her stuff really doesn't add much to the overall story for me. Did it for you? No, because I'm really thinking about how the way she goes about things could have been a good mirror to how Matilde was going about things, but it didn't feel that way at all. She just kind of felt like a murderer just because Matilde was doing things better. Wouldn't it have been fun if instead of being captured for her crimes, Cotillard's character and Matilde meet up? halfway or three quarters through the movie and then joined forces <laughs> and it from there on out became a, an american action movie of them gunning down everyone to get what they want <laughs> no more like the femme fatale would end up softening and helping matilde oh okay yeah no not that they would turn into bonnie and bonnie <laughs> <laughs> dueling bonnie's coming at you yeah that's a better story i don't know why i brought up violence because you are a stupid American. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Sacre bleu! I don't know what that term means. Neither do I. I don't think anyone does. The only thing we know for sure is that French people say it all the time. <laughs> no, they don't. No, they don't. For my French listeners who don't exist, because I see the world map, I don't have any listeners in France yet, but when I do, I want you guys to know I love you. <laughs> Keep listening. Thank you for the help with our revolution. Sorry we did not repay the kindness. Do you have a favorite moment or scene in this? So there's another scene when Jodie Foster 
is trying to seduce the other guy so that her husband could get out of war. She gets naked, but she's still wearing so much underclothes. And I was just like, yeah, that was sexy then. And now that's like too many clothes for public now. And it just, that was, that was just amused me. <laughs> I don't know why. And that brings up an interesting aspect of this movie. Unlike Witness, where it was all about Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis, in this movie, A Very Long Engagement, we have our main story with Matilde, but then we do see these little vignettes and other shades of what romance and love stories can be. For me, I would say I really enjoyed the blimp scene. Oh yeah, that was for the murder fest that it turned out to be. That was surprisingly a beautiful scene. And it was very tense, too. The blimp slowly going up. That's the same stuff as the Hindenburg, so it's gonna go like that. Talking about the odd specificity of French movies, I have to mention, because I felt kind of clever noticing it on like my fifth watch of this movie, when Manek is going off to fight in the war, he's been drafted, Matilde's aunt gives him a cigarette and he says, I don't smoke. And she says, well, you can use it to make friends. Did you notice the detail that more than likely it's that same cigarette? It's the same cigarette he used to get his hand shot. Yes. I did not notice that at the time, but you bring it up now. I'm immediately like, oh my God. (laughs) I mean, if that was a normal American movie, you wouldn't think anything of it. But this being a French movie, it's like, no, that's absolutely the same cigarette. He doesn't smoke, and he didn't make friends. The only friend he made was the, uh, the raider of the kitchen that they went and they spent ten minutes on explaining how he stole sausages all the time. <laughs> With as many frickin' side characters as this movie has, they don't waste any of those side characters. They're all interesting, almost like their own movie. Yeah, you get, you get a lot. The first officer, I think, that is killed, uh, you find out more about him after each little bit i think you find out about him you're like oh okay okay, i'm glad he died i'm glad the first thing we saw of him is dying (laughs) and uh how about that barman with the wooden hand that can crack nuts oh that's a crazy hand that helped that helps with one of the other characters that they talked about being a genius carpenter that that was character building for a character who wasn't even there right it made me think about ash in the evil dead (laughs) that's his chainsaw hand (laughs) if his wooden hand actually functioned like that how it would slow down the action so much he's talking to the deadites no no wait a second i need to i need to turn the the lever on this damn thing (laughs) that would be hilarious and i know the deadites would politely wait (laughs) make a fist make a fist (laughs) come on (laughs) do you have any final thoughts about this film I really liked it. I don't know how I missed it. I feel like, was how did you find it? Because it was not... Well, I mentioned that I have a very innocent uh, love affair, one-sided love affair with Audrey Tatu. That's true. That's true. I really became a fan after Amelie. And then I said, well, what other movies can I watch? And I saw a very long engagement. And I said to myself, I got to check this out because uh, she's prominently displayed on the cover. This gave me a lot of Audrey. Maybe not enough Audrey. That might be another little gripe of mine. As tenacious as she is about her investigation into what happened to her fiancé, a lot of the legwork 
pun intended, <laughs> gets done by other people because she uh, she has a limp. She suffered from polio as a child. Yeah. So some of the stuff, even though it was still great to watch, especially that private investigator she hires. Oh, uh, uh, Jermaine Pierre or something like that, right? I loved that scene when he was in um, Lombardi looking for the girl. And he was like, she'd come into money. And then finally they're like, oh, tell us about the money. He's like, well, actually. And then it was a hard cut to him being chased out of town by people with guns. Well, and then as he's uh, trying to find Marion Cotillard, and she's a, a killer prostitute. Mm-hmm. So he's visiting a bunch of brothels, collecting information. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, when he's recounting his trip to Matilde, he doesn't quite mention all the sex he's been having. <laughs> no, he doesn't bring that up. But it's probably implied they're French. Being someone who has dyslexia, and this movie being so freaking talky, was it hard for you to read the subtitles? It was, actually. I had a hard time following at times, so I just had to rely on hoping I would recognize the actors' faces when they were talking about a character, because they would always cut to someone else. So it was hard to recognize who they were talking about and when, so like calling him Cornflower really helped. That was a very unique name. Same with the, the farmer, Notre Dame. The other three I had a hard time telling apart a lot, because the names at the bottoms were just in French, which is... Always a bunch of Notre Dame, uh, another one named USC. If they just named them after uh... <laughs> American colleges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about what makes it a French movie, what might turn some people off. I want to make the analogy of highways. This movie in particular, but a lot of European movies I've seen, they are like... The German Autobahn, which when it was designed, was to take advantage of all the picturesque views across Germany. So you have these winding roads, and it takes you a while to get to your destination, but you're going to enjoy it. There's going to be a lot to see. Compare that to an American film, which is like an American highway. It's straight. It goes from point A to B to C. They try to do it so that there's no time wasted. It's very efficient, and sometimes that's great. But every now and then, I like a movie like this that meanders, and you can pick out 20 things that they could have gotten rid of, but all those 20 things just add to the overall mosaic of the film. It's like cooking. They're all ingredients in a bigger dish. And isn't French cooking complicated? Yes, it can be. They're like, you got to sweat the onions for exactly 20 minutes, and then this needs a little bit of sherry here, and then again down the road. And frying food in France is, is, can be complicated just because they don't have deep fryers. Like America's like, deep fryer, everything. But they're just like, no, you got to heat a little bit of oil up on the stove. It's got to be this temperature. And Does it make it more airy, frying it the way they do? Yes, but it's also just the oil's guaranteed to be cleaner. Oh, what do you get with cleaner oil? A better tasting product. The product that doesn't taste like the oil. Oh, okay. This is a, a new segment that I'm doing on my show. I believe this is the first time you're going to participate in it. It's called TLDL, Too Long, Didn't Listen. And this is the section toward the end where I'm going to ask you questions, and I want one-word answers 
as a way to just sum up our discussion and sum up our recommendation for people. Ooh, okay. Which one had a better love story, engagement or witness? Witness. Which one would be more successful if released today, engagement in French notwithstanding? Probably engagement. Is engagement a better war movie than Witness is a cop movie? Yes. <laughs> Do either of these movies suffer from missing a villain? No. Which love interest were you most invested in? Matilde, Rachel, or Book? <laughs> Matilde. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather spend three months researching every day for your wife's whereabouts, knowing that she's okay, she's just really lost, or living with her for three months among the Amish of Pennsylvania? Amish. <laughs> so that's that segment. Uh, thank you for that. I like that. That was a good one. And then, just because I was farting around today thinking about this stuff, for the first time, I'm going to do it with you, John. This is movie mashup. I'm going to give you a little synopsis for what would happen if we were to merge these two films together. Searching for her presumed dead fiancé, a French woman hires American detective John Book. <laughs> oh. When the case leads to the woman becoming the sole witness to a deadly murder... That tautology was on purpose, by the way. I know all murders are deadly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Book hides with her in the French countryside. In time, he falls in love not only with French culture, but her as well, derailing the case of the missing fiancé and forcing her to choose which man ultimately has her heart. I call this film French Witness. <laughs> A very long witness. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that, but that sounded too sexual. It was. It definitely is. But no, I wanted to keep it PG. That's fair. That movie would play. Any final thoughts about either of these movies or romance movies in general? I think the best, the best chance at a romance movie is to disguise it as something else. A lot like the best sci-fi movies are like just Shakespeare in space. Uh, you gotta disguise. Disguise your movies, people. Disguise your movies. <laughs> well, neither of these movies pretends not to have a strong love element. I would just tweak your statement a little bit and say, if you're gonna have a strong love story, remember that they still have to exist in a world where other things are happening besides their love. <laughs> Yeah, if the love part is the only thing consuming them, they're not. They're just two-dimensional characters. And for me, I'd say that these movies are a great palate cleanser. If you're into romance stuff, or you just want something that has a strong romance aspect to it, without strong sexual content, without these moments where they're running up the side of a hill, professing their love to each other. I mean, a very long engagement just ends with her looking at him while he's working on a birdhouse or something. A box. <laughs> the birdhouse that Book destroyed. 
Or going to destroy. So it turns out that birdhouse was an antique in witness. <laughs> <laughs> the little known French Amish brought it with them. <laughs> <laughs> they came over on their modest boats. 